0: Man, If you're able, would you kindly remain standing to honor God's word. It comes to us from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, including Phygellus Fig- and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well how much service he rendered in Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning and good morning to those who are participating, worshiping online with us this morning. We are so glad that you are here with us. We last week began a series of sermons looking at the Paul, what we're calling Paul's last letter, his letter to second, the letter of second Timothy. Last week, we we learned how God had uh, given, has given us not a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power. Paul wrote that to young Timothy, this young pastor, and said, you don't have a spirit of cowardice or fear, but you have have great power at your disposal. This week, Paul, speaking to Timothy and to us, claims that you and I have been given a great treasure, the gospel. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable now in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In our text this morning, Paul urges Timothy to guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Protect the message that has been entrusted to you, that message that was imparted by the Holy Spirit in partnership with his grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice. And Paul uses a, a Greek word here to guard. It's the Greek word phylasso which means to guard something so it is not lost or damaged. Guard the gospel so that it is not lost or damaged. This word is used to describe... Um, guarding a palace or possessions against thieves or robbers or attackers. In the time of this letter, there were many different ideas about God and many heresies were bounding about, bent on corrupting the gospel and robbing the church of the priceless treasure which had been entrusted to it. Not much has changed. It's certainly true in our day, in our world. And Paul says, Timothy, be on guard, watch out. And then protect, guard, treasure this gospel message. Now when I hear the word guard or or protect, I I know all about that. Protect myself. Protect my self-image. Protect my interests. Protect my health. Protect my family. Protect my money or my investments. Protect my spiritual life even. But Paul says what is most important... What is at the top of the list that surpasses all other things in your heart and in my heart and in the church is to guard and protect the good news, the gospel. He didn't say protect your truth, Timothy. He didn't say protect your view of Jesus or your spiritual life or your money, your health. He said, protect this message that has been entrusted to you, and it's really good news. It's the greatest of news. It's the most valuable treasure. Think about it. If your, if your house was on fire, what would you grab? If you could only take one thing out of that house when it's burning, what would you take with you? Photo album, important documents, cell phone, memorabilia? This is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, when all else, you better guard this. You ought to guard this. Protect this. This message given and trusted to you is of ultimate importance. And it's the best possible thing to guard and to protect. Don't let it be corrupted or lost or ignored. But protect, protect this. And it, by the way, it is possible to ignore the gospel, the treasure It's possible to corrupt it through false teaching. It's possible to speak of it as less than it is. And in every time we do that, and in each and every case, tragic consequences arrive for human life, for my life, for the church. You see, this treasure that Paul talks about, this gospel has the power. This is the power that Paul was talking about last week. We might ask the question, well, Timothy, you have this power. Well, what is it exactly? I mean, what power does it have? That's what Paul is addressing this morning. What actual power does it have? The power is, is that the gospel is able to defeat, destroy, take down, humiliate our three biggest enemies, the three biggest enemies in your life and in my life, the gospel is able to absolutely obliterate it. And nothing else can. Nothing else can touch our three biggest enemies. Only the gospel can do that. And Paul touches on that in our text this morning. The first news, he says, is this is good news. The treasure the gospel is good news about suffering. Do not be ashamed then, this is verse 8, of the testimony that our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. What a strange thing to say in our world. Timothy, I want you to join in, jump into suffering. Who does that? Who willfully wants that? He says, partner with me, partner with me in suffering. Paul wrote these words from prison Speaking about suffering for the gospel, it's, this is a hard concept to grasp. We all suffer. All of us go through seasons of pain and grief and suffering. To be human is to go through those seasons. There is nothing that the world offers for that. There is nothing that human wisdom has come up with to help with that. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, the, the, The only word that humanists have to describe or talk about suffering is things like, well, it's just random. Or, here's what's worse, it's your fault. Or it's their fault. Or it's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. All you can do is endure it. In the history of the world, that's the best the world's wisdom can offer for suffering or for grief. That's it. Does that help? Does that have power? No. It doesn't have any power. None of it is good news. Not one of those messages is good news. It's just, wow, life is so hard. And now it comes to me. And boy, it is really, really hard. Only the gospel... Only the good news can look at suffering and speak good news into it. The good news into pain and grief. We see that in the life of Jesus. You you remember the story when his friend Lazarus had died. Jesus spends three days walking to the tomb of his friend. And when he arrives there, he begins to weep. He cries. Why? Because Jesus took on human form and his friend is, had died and, and Jesus is grieving. Well, there's good news in that. The God of the universe shares experiences, knows what it's like for you and I to travel this life. He sympathizes with. He has companionship with us when we suffer. He comes alongside us. He weeps alongside us when we weep. When someone dies, especially when someone dies young, we respond with tears and anger. Well, so does Jesus. When loss or hurt or pain comes to you, this passage reminds us that (coughs) God cares deeply. He feels deeply. And at the same time, God gets angry and God weeps. When things that are supposed to be whole and healthy are broken, God weeps. We see the deep compassion. The world's wisdom has no compassion. It has no ability to come alongside. It just has some random statements about how random it all is. But there's more to it than this. It's not just that Jesus feels with us. You know, Frederick Buechner has pointed out the differences in this regard between Buddhism And Christianity and the gospel. He says, like Buddha under the bow tree, Jesus on his tree. The Buddha has his eye, they both have their eyes closed. The Buddha sits under the tree and his eyes are closed. When Jesus is on the tree, his eyes close. But there's a big, big difference. The pain and sadness of the world that the Buddha's eyes close to, as if to say, I don't want to see it. Don't talk to me about it. It's actually not real. Well, when you're going through it, you know it's real. (laughs) The Buddha's eyes close out pain and sadness of the world. Jesus' eyes close in. It's the world of difference. He brings in pain and suffering. He experiences it. He shares in it with us. And Christians in the New Testament and the witness of the early church and the witness of saints and martyrs in our day They all report this. They make this astounding claim. They see it as a joy to suffer. That doesn't make any sense. According to the world's wisdom, that is complete nonsense. Who considers it a joy to suffer? But here's here's what they're saying. Jesus went through ultimate suffering. And when we go through it, we are being like him. We're participating with him. We can share in his sufferings. Joining with him. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. We can do this only when we believe in the power of the resurrection. When we believe and know that all, someday all things will be made new. You see the world's wisdom has zero to say about suffering and grief. The gospel... Can actually redeem it and make sense of it. That doesn't mean that grief and suffering and pain aren't hard. They are very hard. But what you and I need in the midst of it is some kind of meaning, some knowledge that it's going to be redeemed and that it has purpose. That's a powerful thing. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy don't lose that. Wow, that's a treasure. The second thing is we discover is this is good news. The gospel is good news about time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, the Rolling Stones said that time was on their side. You remember when they sang that? Time is on our side. Well, it isn't. it isn't. I had the sacred privilege uh, this past week of sitting and praying with two members of our church in their last moments. If they could speak here today, they would remind us that our day is coming soon. (laughs) Time is not on our side. It goes by fast. So many messages in our world come to us, we, we don't even realize it, but they come to us constantly telling us, you got plenty of time. Um, and so often we are told to look away and ignore the reality of our own mortality and our own death. And we start to believe it. We start to believe this idea that time is on our side, but it's really not. And, and the world's wisdom has really, at the end of the day, never come up with a solution for it <laughs> or anything that's of any comfort to it. The good news of the gospel has power about our time. We spend much of our life denying or ignoring the reality. Someone once said that one of the worst inventions was the clock that just keeps going round and round, or now our digital clocks are even worse. Um, What would have been wonderful is if we all had an hourglass of our life, right? Right? Think about if in your kitchen you had an hourglass that told you exactly how much time you have left. Wouldn't that not change your idea of time? The clock gives you the idea that, boy, it just keeps going, keep going, keep going. going. No. A daily powerful reminder that someday, and it's coming, and where it's ticking away each day, the end is coming near. I've been watching uh, public television lately. Uh, British TV, we were talking about this morning, British TV is the best TV, right? Can I get an amen? Wonderful shows. And so I've been watching some of that recently. And what, what they do, though, what's great is when you watch it online is that they only have one commercial at the beginning. So that's wonderful. But I tend to see the exact same commercial over and over again. So I've got it down. It's a very, very interesting commercial. It's for Viking cruise ships. <laughs> do you know this commercial? It's fascinating. So about the fifth time of seeing this, I kind of, like, did they really just say that? So in the scene of this commercial, the CEO of Viking Cruise, he's stirring a fire, and he begins talking, and, and he says, the one thing we don't have enough of is time. He says, time is our only scarce commodity. And I thought, well, that's fine. Finally, someone's admitting it. That's true. That's- finally, someone is saying what needs to be said. It is a scarce commodity, time. Now, what does he do with that? Here's what he says: "So, go on a Viking cruise." <laughs> that's the answer, And they show all these scenes and great things. So basically the commercials saying, "You don't have much of it, so you better go on a cruise and just enjoy and educate yourself into no, no no, that's the message. Is that a good message? Is that good news? I'll tell you, it's not good news to the 95 percent of the world's population who could never, ever afford a Viking cruise it's not good news. It's just not. Maybe it's a little more honest than the rest of us. C.S. Lewis said, pastors are those particular people in a congregation who talk about things that matter to people who are going to live forever. A Viking cruise does not matter to people who are going to live forever. The gospel is a treasure because it has the power to radically alter our sense of time. Those in Christ are going to live forever. And that knowledge, that that treasure inside of us changes us. It changes our here and now. We don't need to go on a cruise to be satisfied or have this or this or this or that. What awaits you and I and what we're heading toward is glory and it is infinitely better than any experience, any knowledge, anything we could experience in this life. This life is only the title and the cover page. What awaits is chapter after chapter and every chapter gets better than the one before it. The gospel has the power to radically transform us Because time now is not our enemy. It defeats that enemy. It defeats the awful reality of suffering. It defeats the awful reality of time and our death. And then finally, it is good news about sin. Verse 14. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us friends every time you and i sin we hurt ourselves and we hurt our neighbors every single time it hurts us it hurts our neighbors and deep down we know it and deep down we carry a lot of guilt and shame only the gospel can speak to that Only the gospel has something powerful to do about that. You know, it's a fascinating thing that's happening in our culture. There's this great attempt to remove sin from our world. Don't talk about it. Do whatever you like. Do whatever feels good. Do do whatever, whatever you think. And then have you also noticed at the same time they've removed that, but there's so much judgment. People criticize the church. They say, well, they're always judging I want to say, have you turned on the TV lately? Have you read the newspaper? Have you been on a junior high playground? There's judgment everywhere. It's an odd thing. They have no real consistent messaging. Do whatever you feel like. Do whatever you want. And then at the same time, if you step out of line, you get crushed. You get canceled. We do talk about sin in here. We're really honest about it. We say it's everywhere. It's me. It's you. It's tragic, it's difficult, it's hard. The sexual revolution said, let's remove any sin. How's that working out? Not well. There is great hurt and pain as a consequence. What does the gospel do? The gospel looks at all of that and says, now, are you ready for forgiveness? Are you ready to remove the guilt and shame? The gospel has the power. It's such a powerful message to carry this message into a prison, which Christians are doing right now and saying, yeah, we know what you did. Yeah, we know the consequences of what you did. What you did was awful. It was terrible. You must feel terrible about it. Now, let's talk about a powerful thing called grace. The gospel is good news. It's great news. The gospel proclaims that a cure has been given. It's arrived. But beyond that, not only are we given forgiveness, and this is what the world cannot figure out and the world's wisdom has never been able to offer. This is what Paul's talking about. We are given the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live lives of holiness. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, you know that? Sin. Let's let's um, work on that. Let's let's start tackling that. Let me teach you. Let me show you how you can live a life of of richness and meaning. There was a book that came out a few years ago called The Shack. Do you remember the book The Shack? It's an interesting book that a lot of people read. And this imaginary and this guy is has the Holy Spirit come and and when the author first wrote that book, he had a garden that was. A beautiful, beautiful garden. And he and the Holy Spirit would go out and they'd trim the garden and they'd work on it. Well, when the author had the manuscript, he showed the manuscript to a couple of pastors and they said, well, I think you got this wrong. We, we want you to go back and change the book, actually. You got it wrong. That garden shouldn't be a garden. It should be a weed-infested, rock-infested field that looks like a mess. And then the two of you go in. The Spirit's work. And you begin to work and pull up weeds. And begin the work of transforming it into something beautiful. Do you see how the gospel is powerful? Shame and guilt can't do that. Judgment can't do that. But the Holy Spirit working in your life and mine, we can begin to transform it into something beautiful. The world's wisdom doesn't do any of that. It doesn't offer any of that. That's a powerful 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 thing we have to hold on to this good news we have to guard it we have to treasure it we have to keep speaking it over and over and over again friends amazing things can happen when the gospel gets a hold of one's life it's a powerful thing A while back, Will Williman was um, dean of the chapel at Duke University. Um, now, I think he's a retired United Methodist bishop. But back when he was the dean of the chapel at that university, that prestigious university, he got a phone call from, a, from a, uh, an upset parent, a very upset parent. parent. And he answered the phone and the, the parent said, I hold you personally responsible for this. And Will Willimon said, me? <laughs> the father was angry, upset, because his graduate school-bound daughter had just informed him that she was going to chuck it all, throw it all away, as the way that the father described it, and go and do mission work with the Presbyterians in Haiti. Isn't that absurd, shouted the father. She has a BS degree in mechanical engineering from Duke, and she's going to go dig ditches in Haiti. Well, I doubt that she's received much training in the engineering department here for that kind of work, but she's probably a fast learner and will probably get the hang of ditch digging in a few months, we'll say. (laughs) Look, said the father, look, this is no laughing matter. You are completely irresponsible to have encouraged her to do this. I hold you personally responsible, he said as the conversation went on, on, Dr. Willeman pointed out that the the well-meaning but obviously unprepared parents were the ones who actually started this ball rolling. They were the ones who had her baptized. They read Bible stories to her, took her to Sunday school, let her go with the youth group on work camp, Will said. You were the ones who introduced her to Jesus, not me. To which the father responded, but all we ever wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. (laughs) The gospel has great power. It's a treasure. There's nothing like it. Amazing things can happen when the gospel gets a hold of one's life. Especially when it's yours. Let us pray. Father, what great, wonderful news you give to us, the gospel. We thank you that you forgive our confessed sin We thank you that you're preparing us for eternity. We thank you that when we suffer in this fallen world and when we grieve, you come alongside. Not only do you comfort, but you bring meaning and purpose into it. Father, help us this week. Help us, strengthen us to believe such wonderful news is true. Amen.